whatever time zone and whatever time it is, we are all together right now in this moment in simultaneity in the reading of the Word of God. And so I am excited about it because we get to start a new book today. We're starting from the book of Psalm, uh, Psalms today, and we're going to be reading through the Psalms. And uh, one of my daily dips disciplines, aside from spending time in the reading of the Word, which now I do it with the y'all, but one of my daily disciplines is is um, to read a psalm a day, at least a psalm a day. Um, I truly believe that the psalm really cultivates the the soul. The psalms um, disciples the emotions. The psalms really gives us a snapshot into the grand picture of what God is doing, what God has done, and what God is going to do. And and so, psalm is is really. Um, just a powerful, powerful book in and of itself. And I hope what I could do, and I don't know if I'll do this today, because all we're doing really is meditating. This isn't a Bible study. If you want to engage in a Bible study, join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Isaac Frere. You can join us on Patreon and you can be a part of that community. As we're we're almost re- reaching the mark with the number of patrons where we're going to be moving into weekly uh, Bible studies. But I try to do sporadic Bible studies. We'll do one tomorrow, of course, um, to close out uh, the book of Revelation. And so we're going to be closing out the book of Revelation, doing a Bible study there. This isn't a Bible study. This is a meditation of Scripture. Not, it's not necessarily a teaching of Scripture, but rather a time where we sit and just reflect and ruminate over the text. I did not bring notes. I have nothing prepared. I have nothing planned. I simply want to read and then share what the Lord is cultivating in me, what He's leading me towards. One thing I want to encourage you to do is to hear what God is saying to you as you read the Scriptures. So I want to encourage you to really ask three questions when you're reading the scriptures. And the three questions that you're going to ask is, is God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? That's the first question. The second question that you're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? And then the third question that you're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? What are you revealing concerning me? And I truly believe that when you uh, posture yourself in this way, you actually open yourself up to hear the totality of what God is saying, and you posture yourself to receive from God, not simply just to um, just to you know understand and and to parse through the text, but that your spirit would receive something from God in the reading of the Word. The other thing I want to uh, encourage you as well, and it's something that for those of you who may be new, this might be your first time, this might be you know the first time that you actually come on here, is I, I want to encourage you to to subscribe to the Reading Rant podcast and just catch up on the reading. Because here's the thing, we're, we're reading through swaths of scripture. We're not, we're not simply like reading just a piece of the scripture, but we're reading through larger portions of scripture. And the intent really is to back you away from the scripture, is to look at the scripture from a bigger picture. Because sometimes we get too close. And then when we get too close, what happens is, is that we we lose what the message of the book is. Like we, we, we lose the message that the book is actually trying to reveal to us, that the book is articulating to us. So I want to encourage you, subscribe to the Read and Rant podcast. Is what we do every morning. We take these lives and we put them on the podcast. It's the Read and Rant podcast. And if you are on Patreon, um, um, I do make the effort, and you guys have noticed that, I make the effort every day to post what we do here directly on there right afterwards. And I try to post a synopsis as well for you guys. And it's something, it's just, it's just a token of gratitude and appreciation for those of you who support me on Patreon. But this is what we do and this is what we've been doing and this is what we will continue to do is journey and navigate through the totality of scripture. Um, unlike the other books, the book of Psalm, and I just want to preface all of this, the podcast is on Spotify. It is on Spotify and it is on Apple. If you don't see on Spotify, just type read and rant. If you if you search read and rant, if not, maybe there's an issue there, but no, it should it should be there on Spotify. So I want to encourage you to check check it out there as well. Um <clears throat> one of the things that we've been doing and I hope you guys have been catching this is we are reading the book and we're getting the main idea of the book. Right? getting the main picture, the main point or points of the book. And then we're threading these main points together 
to get the bigger picture of what the scriptures are all about. Up to this point, there's been a certain degree of chronology through the scripture. We've, you know, reading Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we see a chronology and we see that we see chronologically that it continues on and Joshua judges and then Ruth is kind of, you know, what happened uh, meanwhile while all the things were transpiring in Judges. So we have Judges and then you have Ruth, which really ties in a grander picture of the character and the nature of God and and what was happening during the time of captivity. Then uh then then there's first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, and there's first and second Chronicles again chronology kind of you know we we see the narrative that's happening chronicles is another angle in first and second kings and so you'll see a lot of repetition there and then um and then there's first and second chronicles first and second uh sorry first and second Samuel, first and second kings first and second chronicles and then we have Ezra and Nehemiah continuity again and then Esther Again, Esther is really a grander picture of what God is doing during the time of captivity because we see the children of Israel fall into captivity. And so all this, and I want to make sure you guys understand where I'm going with all of this. The whole purpose of all of it, okay, is for us to see the big picture, okay? For us to see the big picture, we want to see the historical implication and the spiritual implication. And so we're seeing the big picture. But then the chronology gets knocked off in Job. Because Job is the oldest story of the patriarchs in the Bible. So Job would fit somewhere around Genesis in its time, right? Um, and so, but then we learn the story of Job and why Job was written and the purpose of Job. And that's really where we get to is that Job is not just about, you know, a story about suffering, but that Job is really a story about the righteousness and the justice of God. That's what, that is the main point is that Job is the story of the righteousness and the justice of God. And what Job does is Job leaves us in, there is a resolution, but there's a tension, a waiting of something that is to come, a waiting of something that is greater. This is the tension that the children of Israel find themselves in. And I want to make sure I emphasize, I know I'm kind of speaking before I read. Today, I just want to speak a little bit, and then we're going to go through Psalms. We're going to read through Psalms. And I'm going to read maybe two or three chapters today of Psalms. But I want to make sure we posture ourselves right so that we understand where this is all going. Remember, the whole purpose of what we're doing here for the Read and Rant podcast and for our time together, every time we come together in reading the Word, is I want to back you away so that you can see the big picture. Okay? I want to back you away so that you can see the grand story, the grand narrative. Right? And so... When you read Psalms, I don't want you thinking of Psalms as just kind of another book after the book of Job, but I want you to steep yourself into the book of Psalm, to not simply read it for yourself, because that's what a lot of us do. We sometimes simply read it for ourselves, and yes, it's very fruitful, and and there's so much that we can get from this, but I also want you to read it in light of the big picture, in light of the story of the Bible. I want you to read it in light of the grand narrative. Why is that important? It's important because now you're going to get a picture of what the children of Israel were like and what the children of Israel were anticipating. So a little bit of context as we get into the reading here. Stay with me here. The book of Psalms is a compilation of you can say songs, because psalm songs. But it's a compilation of songs of lament, songs of worship, songs of praise. But I want you to read this and remember that these psalms, it's it's like a, uh, th- think of it as like a, you remember how you had comp- compilation albums? where you'd bring different songs together and put them into one mix CD or one. That's what this was. But it was also put together as a body of work. And so Psalms has a story all the way through, if you really pay close attention to it. There is a narrative all the way through. And the reason why the books are put together in the way that they're put, because they're actually organized 
into um, into five books. And so what we're reading is, is actually a compilation of books, of songs. So the book of Psalms is actually a compilation of books. Yeah, it's a mixtape. There you go. It's a mixtape. But it's a compilation of books. And it's been compiled in a very unique way. Let's stick with the mixtape for a minute. Um, a good DJ, when they when they put songs together, they don't randomly put the songs together. A good DJ has a story, a thread, a message. There's an order that the DJ is putting the song together so that it reveals whatever it is that the DJ wants to reveal or the message that the DJ wants to be revealed through it. So the book of Psalms is that. It's um, it's five books. So it's really actually five volumes of songs that the children of Israel would repeat over and over and over and over and over again. I want you to pay close attention to this as we read. Okay? As we read. Imagine the children of Israel. Okay? This is why I wanted, wanted you guys, I want to start with this first, and then we'll we'll reflect afterwards. I know it's not a Bible study, but I wanted to give you at least a little bit of a, little bit of a background so that we can get the big picture, because that's the purpose of all this, right? Re- quick recap. Abraham has been given a promise, a covenant, because of his faith, that he would father many nations and that his family would be a family that would be in reconciliation and restoration to the world. This is what we read in Genesis. Then Abraham begets Isaac. Isaac begets Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Israel then births 12. These 12 sons become 12 families. These 12 families go to Egypt and they grow. And these 12 families now become 12 tribes. These 12 tribes together become a nation. The family of Abraham now becomes what we know as the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, the Hebrews. Now, Israel, pay close attention. Israel then leaves captivity, journeys through the book of Exodus. And upon leaving captivity, they get to Mount Sinai where the law was given to them. Notice the law wasn't given to everyone. The Ten Commandments wasn't given to everyone. It was just given to them. But we're watching the story. We're paying attention to the story here that the law was given to them. And upon receiving that law, the purpose of the law was so that they would be distinct from everyone else because God was calling them to a higher calling. He was calling them to be a nation of priests who would show what God would be like to the world. It was about an establishing of the kingdom of God and that God wanted to reestablish his rule, his, his, his reign, his kingdom through these people. And he chose these people. They are the chosen people of God. Now, Israel receives the law, but then they break the law over and over and over and over and over again. And upon breaking the law over and over and over again, then in the book of Leviticus, they've been given another law, and this is the law of the atonement that gave them access back to God when they break the law. And then after they receive the law of the atonement in Leviticus, in Numbers, they finally leave because now that they have a way to be back into the presence of God, now they can leave with the presence of God. So now they journey through the wilderness all throughout the book of Numbers. But then in the end, once they get to the to the promised land, there's all kinds of mess, all kinds of issues, all kinds of problems. But in the end, they don't get to go to, into, into the promised land, not because of their sin, but because of their lack of faith, because of their unbelief. And so they stay. And then now there's a waiting of a new generation. 40 years had to pass. And now the new generation comes, and then they're given the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy is the book. It's The word Deuteronomy literally means the law again. So they get the law again. And after they get the law again, that's why it sounds very repetitive from the other ones, because, again, it was the law again. And so they receive the, the law again. And upon receiving the law again, they enter into this land that was promised to them to establish the nation of God. But again, in the book of Joshua, what we learn is that while they subdued the land and while they filled the land, 
they allowed the Canaanites then to influence them. And so rather than following the law that distinguished them, they became just like the Canaanites and even worse. And the book of Judges then exposes what happens, that they fall further and further and further into moral depravity, not following the law that was given to them. And so because they did not follow the law that was given to them, they fell into captivity, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, at the end of the book of Judges, the scriptures tell us that there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So then there must be a king. Then Samuel comes because before a king, there must be a prophet. And so Samuel comes into the scene. Samuel then um, ushers in the new king, the first king being Saul. But Saul was who the Israelites chose, but it wasn't who God chose. Saul was what looked good to the Israelites, but it wasn't what God's choice would have been. As a matter of fact, God never intended for them to have a king. God wanted to rule and he wanted to reign over them, but they chose to have a king. I say all this to say that we know what happens from here on out. The children of Israel, Saul loses his power. Then David comes in the scene. Then David now um, comes into power. David is the man after God's own heart. But then David, right, has uh, all kinds of family issues. And these family issues now become national issues. And then we see what happens in the book of Kings where the nation has been split. Solomon, Solomon's descendants, who, who represent the continuity of the covenant of God, were in the southern king of Judah. And then the northern king of is the northern southern kingdom of Judah, and then the northern kingdom of Israel were uh, the sons of Absalom. Now, the northern kingdom of Israel, Samaria was the capital. The southern kingdom of Judah, Jerusalem was the capital. Again, the nation was split. But these people continued to compromise and continued to compromise and continued to compromise. And by consequence, they fell under into captivity. They, were, they fell under the captivity of the Babylonians. They fell under the captivity of the Assyrians. They fell uh, under the captivity of the Assyrians. So now, as a consequence of that, um, this is, I'm just quickly recapping for you guys. And as a consequence of that, now by falling into captivity, the children of Israel are waiting now. They're waiting to return back to Israel and they're waiting for God to restore his promise, the promise that he made through them. This is where we're at now. This is where we find ourselves. And so then we study about Ezra and Nehemiah. In the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, they go back to restore the land. They go back to rebuild the land. But the entire nation of Israel has not yet returned back to Israel. Only some of them have. And so now we see what happens, how those who lived in exile were to live like, because we saw in the book of Esther. The, the book of Esther shows what the exilic reality of the Hebrews were living in Assyrian, Persian, Babylonian land. They're in captivity, but they know this isn't it. And so now they're anticipating this restoration of this nation, this restoration of a people, because they're convinced that it will be through them that God's justice would finally be made evident to the world. These Hebrews are convinced that it's through them and so now they wait. They wait. And 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 they are waiting for this kingdom. Why is all of this important? Because this is the stage that is set for the book of Psalms. Because these people who lived in captivity who were living in captivity and continuous captivity, falling in and out of captivity, even the ones who were back in Israel, they were still anticipating. They knew they had many of their family and their people who were distant in these lands, who were under the oppression and under the uh, subject to um, 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 the, the empires. And so they were awaiting this justice to come, this kingdom that was to come. And so there was a waiting. So what did they do in the midst of that waiting? Well, they read the Psalms. They read the Psalms over and over again. They sang the Psalms over and over again. They would sing these through and through, over and over and over again. The book of Psalms was culturally formative. 
I know I wasn't going to go full Bible study, but I want to make sure y'all have the background to know where we're going here. The book of Psalms was culturally formative. It was shaping them. It was forming them. And so they would sing these over and over again. They would pray these psalms over and over again. They would repeat these psalms over and over again. They would sing these psalms over and over again. They would sing them and and, and reiterate them and recite them in the synagogues, in the homes, before dinners. They would repeat these over and over again. And so the Book of Songs was a very, very important compilation. It was a compilation that people would listen to over and over and over again because that compilation had a message behind it. Going back to the whole mixtape, the reason why mixtapes are so popular or were so popular, and still are to some degree, but the reason why the mixtape was so popular is because it spoke the language of the street. Whatever the oppressive forces are, whatever the brokenness was, whatever there was an aspiration towards, whatever they were waiting for, you would just put on the mixtape and you would sing the songs. And you would iterate them over and over and over and over again to shape and to form, to give you hope for what is to come, but at the same time, to allow you the space to be present even in the moment and in the present pain. So the book of Psalms is a big, it is big, because if you want to ask what made the Hebrews the Hebrews, culturally, what made them Hebrews, it was the book of Psalms. And so when we read this, I want you to read it in light of that, okay? When you read the book of Psalms, I want you to read it with that in mind, to know that it's not just for you, but there's a bigger story behind this that you shouldn't miss. There's a bigger story behind this that you shouldn't miss. And so now when we read it, Read it in light of what I just said. And after now you read it within that perspective and within that purview, then now you can say, oh, now I get what this mixtape is all about. I'm going to name this episode The Mixtape. So we're going to read today the prelude to The Mixtape. And we're going to reflect on the prelude to The Mixtape with those three questions that I asked you. God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning people? God, what are you revealing concerning me? Father, I ask, Lord, as we read just a couple of chapters, I know we did a lot of just setting up the stage for what it is that this book that you have so intricately put together through your people, Lord, that you've intricately woven together for our edification and for our hope and for your glory, Lord God, that you would Lead us, guide us, Lord, form us, shape us in the same way that it shaped them. Lord, give us the picture, give us insight into what it is, Lord, that you ask of us, even as we read this. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. (sighs) Let's play the first track of the mixtape. It says this in Psalms 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bring forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The the ungodly are not so, but they are like chafe, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion, and I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. 
You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your pleasure. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Chapter three. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say to me, hmm, there is no help in God. Sorry, guys. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield for me, my glory in the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Psalm 4. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart, more than in the season that their grain and wine increase. I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. One more, Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In the fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their counsel. Counts, cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who rejoice, who put their trust in you, let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those who also love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor, you will surround him with a shield. One more. Psalm 6. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Do not chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. Oh, save me from your mercy's sake, for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. 
I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. The word of God. Um, It's going to be an interesting journey for us in the next few days as we read through the book of Psalms. Um, I plan on really sitting through and reading bigger chunks in the days to come. But I feel it is critically important that as we're reading this, because we're going to be reading through maybe, you know, eight or nine chapters as we go. I want you to see the grand picture. I want you to see the grand narrative. I want you to see the grand story. I want you to see what this is all about. Before I can even evaluate this and speak into what this is saying to me, I can't do that without first acknowledging what this was for the person who wrote it. And I can't help but acknowledging what these songs were for the person who centuries before us would sing these songs. We read these words. They sang these songs. Did you catch that? Why is that important? Why does that matter? Because everybody knows that what creativity is, what music is, what the song is, is simply the manifestation of the invisible. It is the expression of the spiritual. A song is the language of the heart. And no one can sing it better than David because David was the man after God's own heart. And so when we talk about music and we talk about songs, when something breaks out into song, it has a tendency to burn into not only the memory banks of your mind, but when something is written into song, it has a tendency to burn within the crevices of your heart and your soul. So when these were written, I want you to understand that this is written by David. We can break down every part, every time that where they believe that David would have written these songs. But David wrote these songs. And now these songs were being sang by the children of Israel during their time of anguish, during their time of grief, during their time of a of of um of oppression and pain and suffering. These were songs that were sung in prayer. These were songs that were sung by those who they were experiencing incredible pain. And at the same time, they didn't have all the explanation to why it is that they were going through. And yet they would sing these songs. These songs that are being sung are reminiscent, pay very close attention, are reminiscent of the Negro spiritual. If anybody knows anything about the Negro spiritual, you would know that while the songs were sung, the songs always had message. They had messages and they were coded. They had coded language in them. So while they were being sung by people who were in pain and under oppression, they also had a message and a coded language that would indicate to them what they can aspire to and to aspire to become and to aspire to see. And what out of that aspiration they could also do. There was direction, and yet there was a 
ministering to the heart. Why is all this important? It's important because you have to understand the purpose of a song. And it's important for you to understand the purpose of Psalms. And what Psalms teaches to us is Psalm teaches, if we read it from that angle, and if we read it from that posture, what the book of Psalms teaches to us is it teaches us that even when everything hasn't been figured out, we still do not remain hopeless. Even when we see injustice and even when we see brokenness, that I can take a song written by a man in his own personal pain and his own personal challenge and his own personal difficulty, and yet through that personal pain, we can find something prophetic. I'm going to piggyback off of what we've been talking about in the past few weeks as we've been reading through Job that there's a blessing in pain. There is a blessing in suffering if we would just look for it. But more so, pain is also prophetic. Pain is also prophetic. Now, catch this, there's nothing new under the sun, right? We know that. There's nothing new under the sun. However, through the pain that I've experienced, it gives light and information and context to how God is working even in the moment and even in the time. David's pain, his personal pain, brought solace to a people who were going through corporate pain. David's personal pain brought solace to a people who were going through corporate pain because music does not simply speak to the mind. Music speaks to the heart. And that is why when something is written in song, you can hear that thing written over and over and over and over and over again. And you can sing it over and over and over again, and you're never tired of it. You ever had that one song that you just kept playing on repeat? And you just keep playing it? And you don't get why. I mean, the words are cool and all, but you just don't understand why you keep reiterating it over and over again. And somehow, because it's written in song, you have no problem repeating it. You sing it over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, there's those songs where if I just start speaking it, you can reiterate it because you have now etched it into your heart. It's become a part of who you are. It's become you. I say this because this is so important, y'all, that when we read the Word of God, we should not read the Word of God as this theological book or to read the Word of God. I know this is going to sound almost heretical because, you know, I, I see this too often. We cannot find ourselves reading the Word of God simply for intellectual purposes or simply for intellectuality and for the exercising of the mind. This is one of my issues I have with, you know, the biblical intellectuals. I want to talk to you for a moment. One of my issues with you, biblical intellectual, is you love the Bible for the exercise of your mind. You love, you know, reiterating verses and putting together thoughts and ideas and establishing a worldview and a philosophy. You love theology. You love it. You love it. And it's all good and all. But I've found throughout my life that there are those who love to engage in theological discourse. And once they have fixed and gotten their intellectual fix. And once the they've gotten the fullness of the fix of what the word is, they lose their faith and they move on to something else because they never actually had the word in their heart. They only had it in their head. That's the unfortunate reality for those who they love good theology, 
oh, I love good theology. I want, I want, I want, I want all the depths of the word and the depths of the scripture and the depths of all that. I want to know all of it. I want to be all up in that. I got a problem with that. You know what I have a problem with? I have a problem with people who immediately come to me and they say, um, give me your doctrinal position. What's your doctrine on this point? What's your doctrine on that point? Give me, give me your doctrinal distinctive on this and, and your doctrine on that. Um, what do you believe about this? And what do you believe about that? Do you, are, are you a cessationist or are you a continuationist? What, what are you? What is your soteriological position? What is, and so they go into all these discourses and they want to, they want to know where I am in my position. Are you Calvinist or are you Arminian? Are you reformed? Are you, and so they ask you all these questions and you're going, do you even know Jesus or do you just know the theology? Do you know Jesus or do you actually simply just know how to argue some theological points? It's funny because the ones who are the up here theological folks, I find that a lot of them don't even survive in the faith. Because once their mind has been tantalized, there's no place for what they do now. So we get into these discourses. I'm only saying this, family, because what Psalms does, and this is just an advice, especially for those who love Bible study, because obviously I love the scriptures and I love studying the scriptures. People have asked me the question, well, when you study scripture, what keeps you grounded? They say, well, what keeps you, what keeps you grounded when you read the scriptures? What, what keeps you what keeps you attuned to God? Because you can find yourself simply just studying the word. I've heard that all the time. I've heard that all the time. You want to know what keeps me grounded, even as I study the word, so that I don't become prideful, so that I don't become cerebral, so I don't become so cerebral that I'm not even a Christian anymore. I'm just a theologian. <laughs> That's right. Just because you're a theologian doesn't mean that you're Christian. There are plenty of theologians who aren't Christian, who actually know theologically the Bible better than most people, and yet they do not have faith in Jesus Christ. So if you ask me what keeps me grounded, is what keeps me grounded is the word was never intended for my mind. The word was intended for my heart. And the word was intended for my heart. What helps cultivate me when it comes to my reading of the word in my heart is to read the book of Psalms. Read the book of Psalms because Psalms is the emotional theology. Psalms is the theology of the soul. And if there's anything that God wants is he wants your heart. That's what he wants. And so I love the book of Psalms for that. I love the book of Psalms for keeping me steady, for keeping me on because you know what happens? Some of us, we're just learning the word right now. And this is good for you guys. And I know this is this is so helpful. And you're like, man, I have, I've never seen the Bible this way, man. Just what we've read up to Psalms, from Genesis all the way up to Psalms, man, it's been a game changer for me. I see the Bible in a whole new way, in a whole new light. And man, it's awesome, right? It's amazing. It's amazing. Seeing the Bible in a whole new way, it opens you up to like, whoa, I had this all wrong, what I was thinking. Here's the thing, though. You can still get lost in the sauce if you are not attending to your heart. Because we have, mankind has a proclivity to simply engage with the mind. And that's why I'm not a big fan of the, uh, the apologist that thinks that they are, the Christian apologist that thinks that they are um, evangelizing through apologetics. I'm not the I'm not a big fan of the Christian apologists. I'm I love Christian apologists. Don't get it. I love apologetics because I love that there are those who are there to defend the word. Because there are some folks out there who are going to give you some bad stuff. We're going to say some stuff that isn't even doctrinally sound, and they're going to give you some stuff that doesn't align with the word. And they're going to tell you some stuff about what the Bible says and if God is this and if God is that. So I I I love that. They're just the defenders of the scripture and it has a place. Absolutely. My problem is, is when the Christian apologists think that Christian apologetics is the end all for evangelism. 
as if your articulation of the word intellectually leads somebody to faith. Ooh. I'm ranting, y'all. But stay with me. This is for the person who thinks that if you can provide a convincing enough argument about why Jesus is the way, why Jesus is God, the Son of God, who died and rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, and now he sits on the, on the throne at the right hand of the Father, and now we await. If you think that being a good apologist of Scripture is going to lead people to Jesus, you got another thing coming. Because your articulation may convince someone that what they think may not be true. But understand that to get into a relationship with God, it requires for God to pour himself out, out through the Holy Spirit on that person. If that person does not receive the Spirit, the Word still remains ignorant. Remember this, the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. But for those who are being saved, it is the gift of God. So if that's true, then what I should be spending more time doing is praying for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on people that they would receive the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ through their encounter with Jesus Christ because I can hear the word and I can articulate the word and I can defend the faith and defend the gospel, but that just makes people walk away. That's why a lot of apologists, they're prideful because they get people to walk away, but they didn't actually bring people to Jesus. You can make someone look wrong. What's the point of that? Christian apologists, you can make someone wrong. You can make someone look wrong. You can argue your point and you can prove yourself right, whatever that means. And that person could walk away. But what was the point? What was the point if the person walked away from you but did not walk to Jesus? I find that a lot of us, we want to win arguments, but we don't want to win souls. Do you want to win an argument or do you want to win a soul? Are you simply seeking to be right and to win? Or are you seeking to bring someone to Christ? That's the question. And for many, we're too busy engaging in arguments, fruitless arguments that don't actually lead anyone to Jesus, simply proves yourself to be right. Congratulations. Congratulations. I'm sorry, I'm ranting on this because what Psalms does is Psalms kills all of that. You can't read Psalms and make Psalms a part of your life. Just an advice, y'all. You can't read Psalms and make Psalms a part of your life. And for Psalms, not to change your heart. And for Psalms, not to melt your heart down to Jesus and to see who God really is. The moment you start seeing some pride in you, the moment you start saying, read some Psalms. I grew up in a Haitian family. Um, one thing that I learned from them, and I'm so glad I learned it from them, is they, man, Psalms took precedence. They would read the Psalms over and over and over again. They would pray the Psalms over and over and over again. They would sing the Psalms over and over and over again. Prayer services, you would at least hear at least an hour worth of Psalms being iterated over and over again. I love my Haitian people. They've taught me so much. And if there's anything that they taught me was the power of the book of Psalms. And, I've, and I will say this, and I'll submit this to many of you. There are those who know more about God and, less, and know less about God. Let me say that one more time. And then I'm done. I'm done. And then I'll lead you to my one thought. There are those who know a lot about God and yet know less about God. That's right. They know a lot of theology, a lot of doctrine, a lot of scripture, and yet they know less about God meaning they don't even know him. 
They got good ideas, but they don't know God. They don't know Jesus. They don't know anything, actually. They just know thoughts and ideas and ideologies, but they have not yet encountered him. If you can't be melted down to nothing, where you know that you know nothing, and that apart from him, you can do nothing, and until it becomes just a... You, you just finally realize, I am actually nothing without him. And he completely melts on you and bleeds all over you and you melt all in him. Until that happens, you don't really know God. You don't. And that's what I love about it, Joey. David is not the... Just another, thank you for saying that, Joey. Thank you for bringing that up, Joey. And I just want to point that out because I know some people might start getting mad at Joey because they might look and they say, well, Joey, you know, why would you say something like that? But Joey, you are absolutely right. David is not the greatest human being. As a matter of fact, by our measures, David is not a good human being. (laughs) By all measures, David is not a good human being. And yet, what was the difference between David and many of us. Many of us are moral and right by our own standard in our own way. And we're, we're right and good in our own sense. We're right and good in our, but we don't understand that apart from him, we can do nothing. And yet the beauty of this is that God will take wretched, broken people and he would pour himself into them. And that God can love someone so much that even in his broken, poor wretchedness, they can speak about the beauty and the goodness of God. As a matter of fact, let David be a testament and let David be a testimony that God can use wretched, wrecked up, broken people to reveal the goodness of God. And when we talk about good people, who are we talking about? Who is actually good? (laughs) Who is actually good? By what standard are we even good? There is no one good and there is no one righteous. And and so if if we see it by that measure and by that standard, we would, you know, the more you spend time reading Psalms, the more you wouldn't even feel that way. I love you, brother. I just want you to really hear me out on this. This isn't even about us. It isn't. But I'll close with this thought because this is just a rant today. And I'm just ranting and you guys put up with the rant, but I'll close with this thought. If you read the first chapter, which is one of the most popular chapters in the Bible, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on this law he meditates day and night. And if he meditates on the word day and night, he is like a tree that's planted by water, bringing forth fruit in season. And you would say, okay, this is all good. Is this, is this law the Bible? Is this law? The law that it speaks about here is the Torah. And what he's saying is, and this is, remember, this is what they would iterate over and over again. Because remember, the law was meant to shape them and to mold them and to bring fruit and to bring life through them, that they would have enlightenment and to know who God called them to be. And so he says in the end of that chapter, the purpose of all this is, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Even in the midst of unrighteousness, even in the presence of injustice, they sing a song that closes with, what? That closes with that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, the way, the way, the way. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. This is a hope of what is to come. When we read Psalm chapter 2, pay very close attention. Psalms 1 and 2, it just basically sets the stage for the whole book of Psalms. That what Psalms 2 is really about, and you really see it for what it is in its totality, what Psalms 2 is about is Psalms 2 is about God is going to make all these things right again. 
Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? These are the things that they would read. This is the oppression that they saw. This is the injustice that they saw. This is the brokenness that they saw. And they said, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. This is the evil that they're seeing. And upon seeing the evil, he says, what? Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. I'm trying to avoid, I'm trying to avoid, I'm trying to avoid <laughs> breaking this whole thing down. Other than to say this, then notice the tone of this, that they're looking to break their bonds in pieces. This, these nations are looking to split apart God and his people. Let us break their bonds in pieces Let's and cast away their cords from us. These are the intentions of the nations. Who sits in the heavens shall he who sits in the heavens shall laugh that when they plan these things, that God laughs at it. And the reason why God laughs at it is because he knows that he's going to bring them into derision. He will hold them into derision. His wrath will come upon them and they will be victorious. Notice what it says in verse six. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has sent me. This is a waiting. Notice. The Lord has sent me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. My son, my son, God the Father speaking to the son. You are my son. I and the Father are one. The Son and the Father are one. They are one in the Father and the Father is one in them. Ask of me and I will give you the nations of your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod. This is establishing of the kingdom of God. This is establishing of the kingdom of God. I will break them with an iron rod. This is what's going to happen. You shall dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, O judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Why? Because there's a victory that's about to come. There's a kingdom that's about to come. There's a son that will reign, who will make all these things right. Catch it, fam. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. And his wrath is kindled, but... A little. Blessed are those who put their trust in him, in the son. Did y'all catch that? I hope y'all caught that. The book of Psalms is talking about, and this is what the rest of the book is going to be about as we read through it, is about an anticipation of a son that is to come that will establish the kingdom of God and that he would make all things right through his people, as was promised in the book of Exodus. And so we wait. And so we wait. Now that you read those first two books, every other book from here on out is articulating that story. Psalms 2 is the roadmap for the entire album. The entire mixtape that we're about to read. This is the mixtape for the hood. And this entire mixtape for the hood that's being sung in all these songs is all mapped out in those two chapters. Remember in the mixtape, at the back of the mixtape, you had all the songs listed out, all like 45 songs on the mixtape. Y'all remember that. All those 45 songs on the mixtape? Yeah. So now, what this is, Psalms 2, is the, the back of the mixtape that's got all the songs listed. Psalms 2 is that. <laughs> Psalms 2 is that. B-side, best side. Oh, my goodness. So, family, let us be hopeful in all of this. We're going to read Psalms, and we're going to speak about how it attends to us. But let's not miss out in light of what it meant to them. And knowing what it meant to them is going to inform what it means to us. Father, we thank you for this time. 
So thank you for bringing us together, Lord. Thank you for this unique moment that we have, Lord, as we begin to read through the book of Psalms. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would journey through the mixtape with us, Lord. Give us context. Give us understanding. Give us breadth. Give us width. Lord, give us, Lord, uh, an understanding of your heart, Father. Let us not simply see your mind, but let us see your heart. Bless us, Lord, as we engage in this. And Father, I just thank you, Lord, for what you're about to reveal through the book of Psalms. Um, It's the reason why I love this book so much and a reason why it's done so much in my life and transformed me in such a powerful way. And I pray that it would do the same for all of us who come together in reading this book. We say that in Jesus' name. Amen.